What an amazing prayer. Set a fire down in my soul. I want more of you, God. And hasn't it been so encouraging this morning to see examples of people who have been given a passion by God and then have acted on that passion? To hear the story this morning of uh, Matthew and of Aaron and his friends selling those cakes. How inspiring. A passion and they acted on it. To hear the story of, uh, from Tracy of the food bank. And I have the real privilege to sit on the steering group for the food bank. And I can tell you that Tracy and Sarah and the team are delivering that project at the food bank with such incredible uh, passion. Please do continue to pray for them. Well, good morning to you. If I don't know you, my name's Chris Brockway. I'm uh, involved in the leadership of the team here, and it's my real privilege this morning to open up God's Word. We're journeying through a series in the book of Jeremiah. It's for four weeks, uh, so this is week three. One more week to come next weekend. So today as we rejoin this story of Jeremiah, who was referred to as the weeping prophet, if you remember last weekend, he cried a lot, the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah today is continuing in the task that God has called him in, in chapter 20. Now this was no easy task. Jeremiah was exercising his ministry in the midst of a cafeteria of different worldviews and ideals and lifestyles. But through him, God was calling his people back. God was calling his people back to what they once passionately believed and what they once passionately lived out. God was saying through Jeremiah to his people, would you please come back to me? I know this is going against the tide of culture, but would you please come back to me? Would you swim against the culture and against the times? As Jeremiah challenges his people then, it was a challenge, and I think this word will be a challenge to us again this morning as well. As we rejoin Jeremiah today, he's discouraged. In fact, more than that, he's very discouraged, and he's complaining against God. He's telling God exactly what he thinks about the situation he finds himself in. Listen to what he says. I warn you, it's pretty raw stuff. This is Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm going to read from verses 7 through to 10. It says this. You deceived me, Lord. I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone, everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and it's brought me reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more of his name, his word is like a fire in my heart, a fire that shut up in my bones. I'm weary. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot hold it in. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he uh, will be uh, deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. (laughs) It's pretty raw stuff, isn't it? But discouragement is part of life. I wonder when it is that you most feel discouraged or when it is that you most feel discouragement. I know for me, discouragement comes most often when I seek to do the right thing but I experience poor results. You work really hard, but you don't make any progress. You show up at practice for your particular sport day in, day out. You give it your all, but you still lose every single game. 
You spend time with your own child or maybe with your grandchild or a friend's child, going out of your way to parent them as best as you possibly can, giving them every bit of wisdom, but still that child rebels. You work yourself to, your, to the bone for your employer. You go the extra mile every single day, but you're never the person that gets that promotion or gets that pay rise. I wonder if you can think of something like that in your own life where you've experienced discouragement. But here's the thing. Discouragement is a rat which, if not trapped, will eat a hole in your heart. Discouragement makes us want to quit. Discouragement makes us say things that we shouldn't say and ordinarily we wouldn't say. Maybe like Jeremiah, discouragement sometimes can cause us to shake our fists at God and tell God what we think. Ah, look at this fine mess you've gotten me into, God, and, and what thanks do I get for this? Absolutely none. All I get is ridicule and mocking. That's how Jeremiah felt. God had called Jeremiah to speak a harsh message to a rebellious people. What did Jeremiah do? Well, Jeremiah obeyed, and, and, yet, and yet the results were absolutely dismal. God's people just continued blundering on towards destruction. It's no wonder, is it, that Jeremiah feels so discouraged. Well, let's have a flip back in those scripture readings uh, or in those verses in chapter 20 to verses 1 to 3 to discover exactly what it was that had made Jeremiah so furious at God. When the priest, Pashur, son of Ema, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten up and put in the stocks at the upper gate at Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Pashur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but it's terror on every side. Now, this text comes from some of the dark and the difficult pages of the Bible. This chap, Pashur, who was a senior official in the temple, grabbed hold of Jeremiah with some friends. They beat him up and they put him in stocks. Imagine this scenario for a moment, the prophet of God in stocks, in public, being humiliated. Why? Because he was simply being obedient to do the things that God had placed on his heart to do. But God's message is never going to be silenced. Even stocks weren't going to silence this message. Jeremiah had simply been obedient to God, persistently and courageously, with tears, Warning people if they didn't repent, if they didn't start living passionately for God, then they would be headed for certain destruction. As we were reflecting last weekend, such a message is rarely popular in society, even if that message is true and even if that message is timely. As we heard from our reading, Jeremiah gets released the day after he's put into those stocks. And as he emerges from the stocks, he delivers a sentence of his own. He gave Pashir a new name. He said, your name from now on will be known as terror on every side. Perhaps more directly translated, it could say, your name will be known as danger everywhere. And this name was going to describe the terror that Babylon would eventually inflict upon God's people if they continued on this current course. But more specifically, it spoke about the fate of Pashir, who would suffer and what he would suffer when God's judgment fell upon him for the stance that he'd taken. Basically, he would die and then he would be buried outside of Israel, which was considered to be the worst possible judgment for somebody in his position. Why? Because the Gentile lands were labeled as unclean. 
he would be buried forever in an unclean land. Anyhow, enough about Pashir, because it's really Jeremiah's rise above discouragement that I want us to focus on today. How can we find hope even in times of despair? The words we heard from verse 7 onwards are the last recorded lament of Jeremiah in this book. As you heard the words, I wonder if it sounded even vaguely familiar to the words that we heard over Easter of of Jesus as he was lamenting in Gethsemane and then as he was on the cross. In Jeremiah's lament, we've already heard the lows, haven't we? We've heard of the despair and the frustration. Those are all captured in verses 7 to 10. But then like all good laments, Jeremiah doesn't end there because as you read on, you start to find some highs, you find some praise and you find some hope in verses 11 to 13. Let's read those together. Jeremiah continues after all of those lows, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail to be and and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. The Lord Almighty, uh, Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. And then listen to these amazing words in verse 13. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. You know, Jeremiah's story reminds us that even a faithful servant of God can become discouraged. Even a faithful servant of God can face tough and difficult times. But Jeremiah's story reminds us too that it's possible to rise above those feelings of discouragement, um, even if our circumstances are absolutely shocking. It's possible to continue walking in the will of God, even with discouragement. In our text today, I think we find four keys to rising above discouragement. The first is to respond honestly. The second is to yearn passionately. The third is to look upwardly. And then finally, the challenge is to worship abundantly. So let's have a look at the first of those, which is captured in verse 7, which is to respond honestly. Well, there's no denying, is there, that Jeremiah was honest. He makes it abundantly clear to God that he feels deceived by God. Now, the word that Jeremiah uses here for deceived means to be enticed or to be seduced. He could have said to God, you know what, God, you've, you've tricked me here. You've tricked me into this situation. Now, obviously, trickery is inconsistent with the character of God. God doesn't mislead and God doesn't trick people. But that doesn't change the fact that that's how Jeremiah felt that God had lured him into ministry only to make a laughing stock out of him in the stocks. He felt ridiculed. He felt offended. He felt that this prophetic voice that God had given to him was making absolutely no difference. He was crying out, literally crying out actual tears for the people to repent, and yet they continued on this path towards destruction. Disappointment was Jeremiah's only friend, or at least that's how he felt. But significantly, I want us to notice this. Jeremiah's intense lament was private. It was for God alone. It wasn't for public consumption. He didn't submit a tweet to to social media. He didn't have a long, woe is me, rant on Facebook. Instead, he went straight to God and he kept his concern private with God. Well, what do we learn from Jeremiah's example here? Well, God wants us to talk to him. 
even when we're angry, even when we're upset, even when we're feeling incredibly frustrated, God wants us to talk to him and he wants us to tell the truth. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your own relationships, but an awful lot of dishonesty can go on in relationships. And an awful lot of dishonesty can even go on in our relationship with God. Of course, the question that we start to wrestle with now is, is it wrong to be angry with God? Did Jeremiah sin here in the way that he lamented to God? Well, I think something we need to remember as we wrestle with this question is that anger is an emotion. Frustration is an emotion. And sometimes, oftentimes, emotions are neither right nor they're wrong. In fact, the emotion itself is neutral. It's what we do with that emotion that puts us on the right or the wrong side of the equation with God. If you feel anger towards God, well, you should go to God straight away with that anger and tell him about it. Why? Because God is big enough. God is strong enough to be able to uh, deal with your hurt and to deal with your anger. So we should tell him about it. He wants us to pour our hearts out to him. He wants us to express what's in our hearts to him. I wonder if there's something you feel frustrated about. I wonder if there's something you feel angry about today. I wonder if you're brave enough, willing enough perhaps, to take that concern to God. I wonder if there's something that even you've been deceiving God about Well, of course, as you have a flick through the pages of Scripture, especially in the Psalms, you find out that Jeremiah's lament to God was not unique. In fact, he was perfectly modeling all that was already captured in biblical tradition. In fact, think of Jesus for a moment. Didn't even Jesus pour out his heart to his father in Gethsemane and then again on the cross? And yet we say of Jesus that he was without sin. At no point did God say Jesus sinned because he was honest with God. We should do the same. We should hold nothing back when we pray. We should tell God what's on our heart, especially those bad feelings. You see, here's the thing. By pouring out these emotions to God, actually those emotions start to have less of a hold or no hold on us whatsoever as we we move more deeply into the loving embrace of our God. To bottle up our anger, even our anger towards God, only ever does us harm. It never does us good. To be dishonest in our relationship with God, especially in our praying, clouds our relationship with God. And there's only one person that we're fooling in that relationship of two, and it's not God. You see, the truth is God longs to know the depths of our hearts. He delights in hearing our thoughts, our motives, our emotions. And in fact, he knows them before we even speak them. So, of course, here's the hilarious thing. If we fail to be honest with God then we're only deceiving ourselves. Honesty with God is liberating and it's freeing. And I want to challenge you from this first point today, from verse 7. If your relationship with God is not honest, then let me encourage you to get honest with him from today onwards. So firstly, verse 7, respond honestly. The second thing we see comes from verse 9, and it's to yearn passionately. Well, because of Pashir's unjustified uh, actions here, Jeremiah was ready to let go of God, and he was ready for a moment to leave God out of all conversations. But we discovered in the text, couldn't we, that he simply couldn't do that. He would not be at peace doing anything else. Why? Because God had given to him a passion. His passion was to see God's people turn back to God, and that was what fueled his ministry. 
His passion had turned into mission. His passion had turned into a ministry. Jeremiah was simply living out his calling, so he couldn't be silent. I love the words of verse 9 of uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah says, the words are fire in my belly. It's a burning in my bones. You see, God's message had given to Jeremiah a passionate yearning that he simply had to be obedient to. He couldn't be quiet about it. Jeremiah didn't preach because he had to say something, but Jeremiah preached because God had given him something to say. To say nothing at all, I think, would have destroyed Jeremiah. When you're called, you can't ignore that call. When your passion turns into ministry, when your passion turns into mission, you can't ignore that call. I guess the challenge from these verses this morning is to, be the, uh, is to not be the opposite of yearning. When God gives you a burden, we shouldn't be apathetic. We shouldn't be disinterested. We shouldn't be indifferent or dispassionate. I wonder this morning whether there's something that you've turned into apathy when God would say to you, I'd love for you to be yearning, passionately yearning over that thing. Firstly, respond honestly. Secondly, we need to be a people who yearn passionately after the things of God. And then thirdly, there's a challenge in verse 11. Do you like the way these are all the odd number verses? Verse 11, which is to look upwardly. You see, verse 11 is, if you like, the tipping point in Jeremiah's lament. Verse 11 is the tipping point from, from woe to wow, from woe is me to wow is God. You see, Jeremiah realizes in verse 11 that he isn't alone. He says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Jeremiah discovers at verse 11 that he isn't on the losing side. Jeremiah discovers in verse 11 that he, he's going to win because the Lord is with him like a, a mighty warrior. Jeremiah discovers in verse 11 that God is going to deal effectively with all those who were adversaries against him. You know, I know from my own life that often in moments of discouragement, my tendency is to look inwards. My tendency is to look at all of my problems, at all of my frustrations, to maybe look downwards at the immediate situation. But Jeremiah's challenge here is to look upward to God who has not abandoned us. Jeremiah proclaims so clearly, doesn't he, that God is with us. God is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is spirit living within me, I can say as a Christian. He accompanies me. Our God is a present tense God who's with me in the here and the now. Those words from that psalm, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And the psalmist goes on to say that his help comes from God. I lift my eyes up. I don't put my eyes down in moments of discouragement. I wonder if you can imagine for a moment the difference it would make in your outlook to life if you remain consciously aware, and I mean consciously aware, that God is with you, that God is for you, even in and especially in the really tough times that you face in life. Imagine going to that really difficult meeting knowing that God is beside you. Picture yourself in a stressful presentation at work, perhaps, knowing that God is not only walking with you, but he's right there beside you as you give that presentation. Imagine what it would be like as you confront fixing that broken relationship that you have to know that God is with you in that moment of reconciliation. Imagine what it's like to tackle an addiction or a repeated sin, knowing that God is with you as you tackle that thing. 
Envisions uh, confronting the status quo as Jeremiah did with the mighty arm of the Lord like a warrior surrounding you. You see, knowledge of God's presence can help us accomplish things despite our discouragement. It provides courage for us. It gives us grit and strength, tenacity and perseverance. Even more so today than in Jeremiah's day because we have the Spirit of God living within us because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. A.W. Tozer has written some brilliant words on this theme. He says, living in the glow of God's presence will enable you to fight on despite discouragement. Isn't that brilliant? Living in the glow of God's presence will enable you to fight on even with discouragement. I wonder for you today, what is it that you're feeling discouraged about? What is it that you're feeling is such a burden and such a challenge that you just need to know the presence of God journeying into that situation with you? The challenge, to look upwardly and not to focus inwardly or to look downwardly. So our journey so far, verse 7, respond honestly. Verse 9, yearn passionately. Verse 11, look upwardly. And of course, we're going to verse 13 for our fourth point, which is to worship abundantly. Jeremiah's despair turns into joy, doesn't it? His defeated attitude turns into triumph. His dismay turns into courage. And the key that unlocks that door to that kind of response is praise. It's worship. It's abundant worship. Jeremiah in this moment in verse 13 triumphantly proclaims, sing to the Lord all praise to God. You see, praise is the one weapon in the Christian's arsenal which Satan has absolutely no defense against. When we praise God, we're acknowledging that God is in charge. When we praise God, we're acknowledging that God is sovereign, that God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Praise is more than just acknowledging God for the good that comes our way. But as we see in Jeremiah's example here, praise too is accepting from God all that comes our way, both the good and sometimes the difficult. The praise we offer when things are not going our way is just as precious, arguably more precious to God than the praise we offer when things are going really well. So our four points this morning, respond honestly, yearn passionately, look upwardly, and worship uh, abundantly. Well, in conclusion, let me finish with a story. It's a legend story. I suspect this is not true in any way, shape, or form, but it reveals the source of discouragement. The story goes something like this, that the devil put his tools up for sale. And he marked each one before this auction for public inspection with an appropriate sale price or an offer price for that particular item. And lined up there at the sale were hatred and envy and jealousy, deceit, lying and pride. But there was one tool that was laid apart from all the other tools and it looked harmless enough, but actually this tool was a very well-worn tool. The tool was called discouragement. And this particular tool was marked at an extremely high price compared to the rest. Well, someone had the courage to say to Satan, why is the price so costly for that particular item? And the devil answered, because this tool is more useful to me than any other tool. Why? Because I can pry open a person's heart with it when I cannot get near them with the other tools. 
Once I'm inside, I can make them do whatever I choose using the tool of discouragement. And it's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone since very few people know that this tool actually belongs to me. Many of us succumb to this infamous tool of Satan. Maybe even today you're feeling the effect of this tool in your life today. Can I encourage you this morning with the inspiration of Jeremiah's uh, story to rise above discouragement, to put discouragement in in its proper place, place, to, to catch that rat of discouragement in a cage before it takes a hold on your life. In the things that you're confronting today, whatever they might be, can I encourage you to respond honestly? Tell God how you feel today. He's big enough to cope with what you say to him. Can I encourage you today to yearn passionately, keep on, keeping on doing the thing that God has called you to, even in the tough times of life. Keep on with your relationship with God, even when things are difficult. Yearn passionately. But secondly, can I encourage you not to look down or to look inward, but in discouragement and difficult times to look upwardly, knowing that the Lord, our God, is with us, that he's equipped us by his spirit for the life he longs for us to live. And then fourthly, can I encourage you to worship abundantly? In whatever you're facing today, whether days are good or whether today is tough, to worship God abundantly with the whole of your heart. We're going to hear a testimony together, which is the testimony that goes with an amazing worship song, which is called Yearn. And the writer of this particular song, Shane and Shane, are going to tell the story of how this particular song came into being. But it's a song that calls us to yearn passionately, to allow that fire that God's placed within our hearts to burn and to burn strongly as we walk with Jesus into this life that he calls us to live. I hope you'll enjoy this testimony, and then why don't you join in as an act of response in prayer as you hear the words of the song as well. So I was sitting in my living room. It was late at night. I was alone, and I read, I had been reading through this passage in Acts chapter 17. I'm just going to start in verse 24. It's right after uh, Paul says, uh, you guys are worshiping this God called the unknown God, and I proclaim this God to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of all of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And I read that, and whatever version I was reading at the time said, um, he did this in order that they would yearn for him, grope for him. And uh, I just um, was sitting there, and all of all of the truth, or not all of it, but some of the truth of that passage started to just kind of come to me and the reality that he had created that moment and he had created this boundary that I lived in in time. And he did all of that, even in that place that I would yearn for him. And the problem was at that 
at that time and many times in my life that I didn't yearn for him. And so I, I, there, there was, I, had a, I had an issue, <laughs> you know, of um, you've brought me here for this purpose, um, but this purpose isn't happening. And so um, that song was birthed out of, of that, um, that God, you would bring this to fruition in my life because m- I feel like um, my heart is yearning after things, but those things aren't necessarily you. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of my heart yearning even was for, the f- for things that you've made and things that you've given me and things that you're doing, but not you. And so it's been a really great song for us you know, to continue to sing and ask the Lord to, to continue to create that yearning for the one who never runs out, um, who, who the only one who really fills us in a way that satisf- satisfies the deepest part of our heart. And so, yeah, that's where it came from. Holy design This place inside that I might seek and find my God, my God. Your joy. 